We're doing the Christmas episode today. But, but no, no, we can do Christmas next week. Well, okay, we could do Christmas next week, uh, except that then that's like the freaking Christmas rush. It's the 23rd that we're recording it. I'm editing it on the 24th. Uh, I don't want to be working on it on Christmas Eve. No, you're right. Okay, fine. Please tell me you didn't have this cold while you were at the uh, Caribbean compound, you and your wife. Oh, listen, I went to this great French drugstore in, on, on the island, and uh, the guy was very nice. He would have given me, he would have written me any prescription with a doctor's note. And so we loaded up on all kinds of weird European antihistamines, decongestants, anti-cough, everything. So I have absolutely no idea what I'm on because I can't read the labels because it's all in, in French, obviously. So clearly we need to have the disclaimer right off the top here because you might not even agree with your own views. I have, there's a very good chance I won't. The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone, possibly, and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. Yes. <laughs> yes. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes and GeoCities, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. The world's most infamous mayor gets run over by a reindeer. We'll play the Rob Ford Christmas parody of 2013. How the stores manipulate you with music to get you to buy more at Christmas and the rest of the year. Meanwhile, the Whovians down in Whoville aren't excited to open their stockings. They're actually looking forward to a new doctor, Teddy Wilson of Space, who help uh, my grinchy Doctor Who hearts grow three sizes this day. Geeks and Beats updates on the race to make ACDC the number one Christmas song of the year. Proof Apple has big plans for the connected car and a singing Christmas telegram over the internet. And now... Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. It was inevitable. We were out for dinner with some people that we met on the island, and they're from Seattle. There was a group of three couples who toured together, and uh, we not we were not down sitting down for for less than five minutes when all of them turned to us and go, "Hey, how about that mayor of yours?" Rob Ford got run over by a reindeer. Rob Ford got run over by a reindeer. Walking on the Danforth Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa. But as for me and Dougie, we believe. He'd been drinking on the Danforth. And we begged him not to go. But he didn't listen to us. Staggered out the door to find some snow When they found him Christmas morning It was clear that he'd been smashed He had hoof prints on his forehead And incriminating track marks on his back Rob Ford got run over by a reindeer Walking on the Danforth Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa but as for me and Dougie, we believe Now we're all so proud of Dougie He knows his brother has been wrong But he's in there watching football And making peace with Counselor Denzel, men and Wong It's not Christmas without Rob Ford All the city's dressed in black And we just can't help but wonder should we open up his gifts? Because they might be smack. 
got run over by a reindeer Walking on the dam towards Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Dougie, we believe Now John Stewart's on the telly Making jokes at his expense But this time it was not Ford's fault So we felt that we should come to his defense Stay inside next Christmas Eve Even if you are alone Don't even go and get some groceries Just make sure you have enough to eat at home Rob Ford got run over by a reindeer Walking on the dam for Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Dougie, we believe But as for me and Doug Ford, we believe We are famous for all the wrong reasons, although I don't live in the city. Rob Ford is not my mayor. He's your mayor, but not mine. Well, he's not my mayor either. I didn't vote uh, for him, that's for sure. All right. Well, whatever the case is, we now have a, a, a number of parody songs that uh, come quickly. See, this is what the Internet is good for. And as far as I'm concerned, um, this is a winner. Uh, a I don't know who it was. The band's name is A440.com. A440. As in eh. 440. Oh, okay. Now, do you want to me explain that? Uh, is there an explanation for that? Well, there is. If you replace EH with the letter A, 440 hertz is the frequency of uh, A in the middle of the keyboard. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, according to A440.com, uh, we're uh, looking at uh, Joe 3, Janet, Mike, Stacy, and Luke. Uh, at A440.com. They're a Toronto-based band, and uh, they are doing a parody of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, the novelty Christmas song written by Randy Brooks and originally sung by the husband and wife duo of Elmo and Patsy Trigg, Shropshire. That's right. I couldn't remember who did it. This is one of the most horrible Christmas songs next to Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time. Oh, this is one of the best Christmas songs ever. What, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer? Oh, yeah. This takes me right back to being a kid in the backseat of the family car listening to the Sunday Night Funnies on Chum FM, and uh, they did the whole Dr. Demento show. This Uh, is right out of Dr. Demento's repertoire. Yeah, sure it is. Okay, well... Okay, enjoy, and I'm glad you're having a good time with it, although I, I, I have plenty of other Christmas songs. Uh, in fact, uh, if you listen to my Secret History of Rock coming up on the uh, next Sunday, it's my annual Christmas show, my 21st annual Christmas show, uh, and I have some very weird stuff. I don't have this, but uh, I have some I have better stuff. You don't like uh, Paul McCartney's uh, Christmas song? That's the worst Christmas song ever written. Which one's that? Wonderful Christmas Time. It's horrible. Oh, I absolutely love that song. Oh, come no! The moon is right. The spirit's up, we're here tonight, oh, that's enough, we're simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply having a wonderful Christmas time, simply having a wonderful Christmas time. That'll, that'll get my toes tapping every single time. This must be your sinutab-induced haze. No, it's not. I'm This, I'm thinking clearly. You're not. <laughs> you were not thinking clearly uh, when on your new website at journalofmusicalthings.com you reported on Can You Make Christmas Music from a Christmas Tree? And you play this.
Christmas music? Listen, it's MacGyver Christmas music. It's a guy who's using Christmas ornaments and his tree and the boxes that are underneath to make music, but it's certainly not Christmas music. Well, define Christmas music. Is that a Christmas tree? Are those Christmas gifts? Oh, come on. Listen, if you can like wonderful Christmas time, if you can like <laughs> Grandma got run over by a reindeer, you can appreciate this. What I can appreciate, actually, was something you reported on that came out of the Wall Street Journal about um, how the music that's played in a store manipulates you into spending more money. Oh, yeah. Haven't you heard these studies? These are, this is a science that goes back way, way, way back. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because um, depending on the, the, the key of the music, the beat of the music, the, the, the nature of the music can get you to linger longer. And if you linger longer, chances are you will buy more. And there are companies, I mean, this goes all the way back to Muzak. Remember remember Muzak when they were first in, uh, launched in the 1930s? They're owned by, uh, they don't exist anymore. They're owned by a, a Canadian company. That was, that's actually a neat little sidebar, is that the company that originally created Muzak is now a subsidiary of Mood Music, of Mood Media, which is a, a Canadian company that's, I think Mood bought them for like $350 million about three years ago. Yeah, it's, it's a Woodbridge company, I think. They're in the north end of, uh, of Toronto. And their whole thing is to use music to manipulate people, to make you more productive, to relax you, to speed you up. I mean, if you go into a restaurant, one of the things that you'll notice at noon is that because people have such a limited time to eat lunch, you will find up-tempo music in restaurants. <laughs> Seriously, because that forces you to eat quicker and turn over tables or turn over spaces more quickly. Conversely, if you have a certain type of music in the evening, uh, that will get you to linger. And if you linger longer, chances are you'll buy more drinks. And of course, we all know what the margins are like on alcohol at restaurants. So, and, and the same thing with, with, with uh, Christmas shopping stuff. You, you know, uh, if, if, if you go into a restaurant or go into a store and it's nice, up-tempo, cool music and you're kind of getting into it, you, chances are you'll, you'll, you'll linger longer and you'll pick up something. It works. What doesn't work for me is the Christmas music coming sooner rather than later. The uh, Wall Street Journal's article points out about Thomas Pink, the London-based men's specialty store, uh, that a one in six songs is a Christmas song by late November. By early December, it goes to one in four, and by Christmas Day, it's one in three. Thank you, Thomas Pink, for not going wall to wall. Well, listen, uh, my wife works at a radio station that gets into Christmas music music uh, like twenty four seven. Sometimes, and, and I don't, I don't mean to say that that. That radio station needs to be burned to the ground for doing so, but that radio station needs to be burned to the ground. <laughs> well, listen, it's uh, it's, it's a good half of my income, so I, you know what? I, I don't get it, and, and it, I don't understand why stations flip to all Christmas music. I, I don't I don't get the the business case that's made for that. I'll, I'll make it for you. Ratings are huge. Are they really though? They are absolutely huge. If you go and you look at the spike that these stations have in the listenership during the time that they play all Christmas music, it is astounding. Absolutely astounding. Now, it doesn't work for all radio stations. You have to have one that you can put on at work. With with the case of my wife's station, which is CHFI, it is the the ratings absolutely explode. And remember, radio won't doesn't do anything unless it results in in ratings. Yes. You know, when I was programming a radio station, I would have played you know lesbian, klezmer, Lithuanian folk music if it got ratings. 
You mean it doesn't? Oddly. But but this Christmas stuff, man, it's huge. I think the first, there were two radio stations, I think they were in upstate New York, that started playing Christmas music either the last weekend of September or the first week of October. That's just ridiculous. Which is completely ridiculous. Middle November, you can start to see it, uh, especially after American Thanksgiving. Fine, let let it go, and and, and just make sure that uh, you know when the clock runs out on. Uh, when do you think Christmas music should stop being played? Uh, how about December twenty sixth? If if we're starting it in October, could we end it December twenty sixth, please? Yeah, I, I think we should. Years ago, I used to work at a radio station in Western Canada, and we one of the things it did was it had Muzak like tapes. And uh, part of our job was to was to change the tapes because these uh, it was broadcast to malls and stores in in, in the area, and we had the rule that uh, you know midnight December twenty sixth the Christmas tape came off. So what happened was I mean we're, it's December twenty third December twenty fourth December twenty fifth and we're using these big ten and a half inch reels of tape right very very thin tape. Because you want, and they turned very slowly. I think they turned at three and three quarter inches per second. So a 10 and a half inch tape would give you about 12 hours worth of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. When you were done, there was a special way that you had to rewind the tape so that when you put it in the box and you restrung the tape later, it would be ready at the beginning. Right. You don't want it tails out. You want it tails in. Tails in. Right. What happens when it goes tails out. It plays backwards like a ZZ Top record. Exactly. So when I was there, some knob for three days had the tapes running backwards (laughs) in all the malls and all the restaurants and nobody picked up on it. Nobody. Ah, it's comedy gold. Hey, is uh, is your wife's uh, radio station playing the new Duck Dynasty Christmas album? It's out selling the new Britney Spears. I brought this up at dinner last night. And I said, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you think of this? And she goes, eh, doesn't really matter to me. She doesn't like Britney Spears. Uh, and, and the reason we were they came up is because we were watching football or something, and uh, the Duck Dynasty Chia Pet commercial came on. Did you have you ever seen that? Oh God, no! Is no there? seriously, you can buy a, a Duck Dynasty Chia Pet, and it grows and it grows into the big beard of of, of these guys, right? So I can, fabulous. Anyway, so we were, we were talking about this how how their Christmas album is outselling the Britney Spears album. And I think that tells you a little bit uh, about the state of the America of American culture. Britney's not exactly the height of American culture either. Okay, no, no that's my point. Is is that you know which one? Do you, these are two dogs in a horse race. Which 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 would you which would you choose? Say what's in this dream? There's no cabs to be had out there. I wish I knew how. Your eyes are like starlight. To break this spell. I'll take your hat. Move a little closer. At least I'm gonna say that I tried. What's the sense in hurting my pride? I really can't stay. Oh, baby, don't hold out. Oh, but it's cold But I think it's kind of funny that 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 Brittany, you know, despite you know all the polish, all the money. Everything that went into making one of these records with, you know, however many producers, however many studios, however many songwriters, however many musicians is being outsold by a bunch of people from Louisiana who got rich off a duck call. 
136,000 copies debuting A Robertson Family Christmas, Duck the Halls, debuting at number four, whereas Britney's Britney Jean uh, debuted with just 107,000 units. I, I love the album cover. The duck even is wearing a Santa hat. <laughs> so, But this this is a bit of an anomaly because if you look at um, the charts this week on both sides of the border, you'll see a lot of Christmas albums making their way to the top. This is traditionally the time when Christmas albums sell extraordinarily well, and it's, you know, John, uh, what's his name? Josh Groban has a huge Christmas record called Noel from 2007 that comes back into the charts every time this year. Uh, Taylor Swift has a Christmas album. Uh, Michael Bublé's Christmas album. Susan Boyle's Christmas album. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just the time. However, that being said, first week sales for the Duck Dynasty Christmas albums were still higher than those for Britney Jean. It's, it's, it's wild. I, I'm looking forward to starting a new Christmas tradition, which is the big Doctor Who December 25th episode. something uh it was raining in the uh, northern caribbean command center and we did have uh, dish tv and uh, my wife was was off having a nap i couldn't sleep and i that's what i was watching i was watching a doctor who marathon oh thank goodness well let's bring teddy wilson from inner space in on this conversation to, to maybe help fill in some of the blanks for you teddy uh, and i worked together at uh, the tv factory at 299 queen in downtown toronto you might know it as the much music building and uh <clears throat> And he's the big nerd for Space, the Imagination Station, and he's a huge Doctor Who fan. And I thought, considering this is going to be the big Christmas show, and there's a big thing happening on Christmas Day in the Doctor Who universe, we need to get the uh, the scoop from him. Okay. Teddy, good to have you with us. Ha <laughs> ha! How's it going, man? Welcome to the program. I'm here too, but I am heavily medicated. Someone's got a bit of a cold. Alan Cross sounds even more sultry with the cold. <laughs> Look out. So Christmas morning... As everyone's getting up and all giddy about Santa coming, I'm going to be giddy about the new Doctor Who. Right. Or the new Doctor, I should most accurately say. Well, you know, I, I think that's that's globally Doctor Who fans feel the same way. Christmas Day is a, is, is a big deal for a number of reasons, but for Doctor Who fans, it always means they're um, amazing, iconic, and, um, you know, perennial Christmas specials. And this one is especially special because we're going to meet the next doctor uh, who will be Peter Capaldi, who, d- depending on who you talk to right now in the world of who fandom and who canon, is either the uh, 12th doctor, the 13th, or the 14th, because there's all of this wibbly-wobbly, <laughs> timey-wimey stuff that goes along with Doctor Who. But uh, regardless, we're going to get a new actor portraying uh, the doctor in this iconic role that's been uh, that's been alive for uh, for 50 years. So it's uh, it's a big day for we geeks and we Whovians. Whovi? Wait, 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 wait. Whovians? Yeah, it would be like the equivalent of uh, uh, Trekker, not Trekkie, but uh, a Trekker. I, I'm sorry, I think about the Grinch who stole Christmas when I think Whovians. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, I, I have never been a, a Doctor Who fan. However, with the new Doctor, 
I, I, I may become one because there's a British series called The Thick of It, which is a fantastic, funny political series. And it's basically uh, the basis for Veep with a... Uh, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Thank you very much. And it is it is foul. It is evil. It is just fantastically funny. And um, the new Doctor Who is is play uh, is the same guy who plays Malcolm in that series, and Malcolm is just just the, the most detestable human being ever. But I really like the actor. This was a big risk, uh, particularly when they rebooted it back in two thousand five, uh, to bring in Christopher Ecclestone as the guy because he was also very dark and brooding. And then they went a little bit more wacky. This brings it back to that dark and brooding, Teddy. What's what's the deal with this guy? Because as you point out, not everybody is happy that he's been named. Part of this perennial debate with Doctor Who is anytime you have a new actor and, you know, the technical term in Who lore is, is a regeneration, there's always debate about, uh, you know, whether or not it's the right person. And I think as, as classic fans, you know, we always, um, you know, there's always skepticism or it's like when the, the band you love, you know, becomes too big to fit in your back pocket anymore and goes from being an indie band to a big band. Um, I, I think there's that same sort of healthy skepticism whenever there's a new actor portraying the doctor. But I think there's actually a lot of excitement for Peter Capaldi. He's certainly older than the last two doctors. Um, but I think he's going to bring it in a very, very interesting direction. As you say, you know, you can, everybody can YouTube, um, you know, uh, his role on, uh, on, uh, uh, in the thick of it and the, the follow-up film. Uh, in the loop. Malcolm? What? Do you like how I'm telling you what's going on where you are? Let me tell you what's going on where you are, sweetheart. A certain vinegar-faced manipulative cowbag is about to discover that she's out of a fuck job. Fucking hang up, haven't you? Fucking hoity-toity hey, fucking... Hey, Nothing curse words, all right? Kiss my sweaty balls, you fat fuck. He's profane-ridden, which we haven't seen in terms of a lot of other doctors in their previous roles. Uh, and I think he's going to be bring a really, really interesting uh, tact to it. Because as you say, the last two doctors have definitely played on the, the whimsy a little bit more. The, the, the current doctor, who will regenerate in the Christmas episode, Matt Smith, is very whimsical and is very physical and kind of wacky in his portrayal of the doctor. So I think fans are actually excited to see a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a different direction. And just a bit of refreshing of the franchise, which is yeah, what this I, franchise is all about, and it's part of its brilliance. See, I, I, I like Ecclestone. I, I thought he was really kind of cool. Um, I judge I judge my doctors based on their hairstyles. If they have a, a long, swoopy hairstyle, I am out. But if it's uh, <laughs> close-cropped and all business, well, then I'm in. I would argue that more important than the doctor, the companion. Well, you know, the, the companion's very interesting. And let me say as well, Alan, that I don't know if you still have long, swoopy hair, but I recall you used to, so I don't understand your prejudice against it. <laughs> no, I just, I, 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 I like long, swoopy hair on me. I don't like them on my doctors. <laughs> um, I mean, as you say, Michael, you know, the, the, the companion is, is such an interesting role as well. So this is traditionally, this role has traditionally served as the audience proxy in the world of Doctor Who because the, the companions uh, come into the TARDIS, which is his spaceship that is trapped in the form of a police box it's bigger on the inside it's it's strange it's indicative of this alien world that the doctor is from and so that companion often asks these same questions that a new audience member would ask about who is the doctor where does he come from uh, and all of these other questions so very important role in terms of dramatic storytelling but also in in terms of the functional role as as the audience proxy and uh, the current companion uh, is played by Jenna Coleman. Uh, you know, some criticisms about her last season because there was a lot of mystery around her, which you don't often see with the companions. Usually more of the mystery is around the doctor. Because she herself has gone through time. <clears throat> Pardon me for getting so excited. 
she she has you know she's she's saved the doctor a number of times now she's uh you know she she's saved a whole lot of other things if you saw the 50th anniversary i won't spoil it if you have right i was just going to say isn't she in into herself someone who appears to have been a time traveler herself without being aware of it well exactly that that was revealed in the last regular episode of the previous season that she had saved the doctor and she had been with all of these other um iterations of the doctor throughout the um the the doctor's the current doctor's tenure which goes back to 1963 cuz he was of course one of many of these uh, time lords from a planet called Gallifrey but since this reboot in 2005 he's generally been considered the last of of his kind so it's, it's really interesting storytelling and the, the companions are are great as well and, and you know part of the joy of the show comes from the interaction between the companion and the doctor so I'm very interested to see the interaction between General Louise Coleman the current companion and Peter Capaldi as the new doctor Alan I do Teddy actually touched on something interesting. Do you know why mm-hmm. it is a police call box that the TARDIS represents? No, I don't. Why, Teddy? Well, it, it's actually just stuck in that form. It's the the chameleon cable, or I think the chameleon wire, the chameleon circuit. That's what it's called. Yes. It's actually just been stuck in that form. So back in 1963, when we first met the Doctor, uh, played at that point by, by British character actor William Hartnell on Trotter's Lane, it was, it was stuck in that form. And, and actually, for, for a few seasons in the mid-1980s, the TARDIS, which stands for Time and Relative Dimension in Space, the spaceship, would actually take different forms. It was like an organ for a few episodes, and it, it didn't go over very well with the audience. So it has remained a police call box, but that is not its natural state. It's just stuck in that form because of this broken uh, chameleon circuit. Hmm. So do we have you hooked yet, Alan, on the show? Well, you know, I was a Billy Piper fan. Oh, how could you not be? Yeah. For for a lot of the wrong reasons, and then she, you know, she left, and then did that uh, diary of a prostitute one, which was really kind of cool. Though she never took off her bra, but classic yeah. prostitute. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was all right. But uh, okay, so you know what? I'll, I'll I'll maybe give it a chance. I mean, again, I like the new actor playing the new Doctor, so uh, we'll see. Well, let me ask you this: What have been your hesitations with it up to this point? Because I mean, early Doctor Who to me is to, to use a, a, a musical reference in your honor, Alan. To me, it's like Radiohead's Pablo Honey, and that it's an interesting starting point of a band that would become great, but in and of itself. I don't. I personally don't find an amazing record. So if you go back and look at those early episodes of Doctor Who, they're interesting in terms of what the series would become, and certainly at the time they were impactful. But they're very dated now. So in terms of evaluating your your interest in the series, if you look at a lot of the current seasons, the last few especially, I, I think it might pique your interest. And what's okay. been your reservation? Because I know you're a big sci-fi fan. Well, I am. I am. Uh, but you know, but I, I, if it doesn't have uh, you know phasers in it, I'm 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 not interested. This uh, has a sonic screwdriver. I, I know. I know. I know. I know. Okay. Okay, I really got into it with Peter Eccleston, okay? And uh, that was the Billy Piper years. I, I really liked that. And then they changed the doctor, and he ended up with swoopy hair, and I just lost interest. So that, that's it. Okay, so I'm going to try again. I, I promise I will try again. And, 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 and if I like the Christmas episode... I'll go back and start from, what, 2005, six. Well, if you saw Eccleston, you saw 2005, so then you, you can go back after that. And I think you might really like Swoopy Hair, a.k.a. Uh, Matt Smith. Uh, see, I saw him on Top Gear. He was the star in the reasonably, reasonably priced car. I thought it was a git. <laughs> oh, you know, David Tennant, of all the reboot doctors, David Tennant, for me, is the doctor. He's your doctor, Michael? He is my doctor. I would let him examine me, <laughs> saying that as a straight man. <laughs> Teddy, thank you so much. We appreciate the help. Okay, thanks, fellas. Inner Space with Teddy Wilson airs weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, repeats at 11 on Space. 
London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. You've got a new website. Yes, I, I do. Uh, AlanCross.ca was uh, two and a half years old. It needed a, a refresh. More than just a fresh coat of paint. Oh, no, no. It's, it's, it's completely new. We, we've changed platforms and changed a whole bunch of other things. And there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. The, the whole idea is, is to make it a little bit more international. So rather than just have my name associated with it, it's, you know, I've got uh, contributing writers and all the rest of it. I want to make it a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the, the first iteration. Went live uh, Sunday. And I think perhaps the most important part of it is that it is now mobile compatible. Yes, it looks really good on my iPhone. Yeah. It really does. I haven't, you know what? I haven't looked at it on an iPad yet. I've got to check that out. Something that pe- when people develop websites often don't take into consideration, they spend so much time working on the homepage, and that's actually quite irrelevant. The majority of people who visit a website today come from a specific link, and they're doing so because they're tied to social media. They're seeing it on Facebook, they're clicking the link there, or it's on Twitter. And so they're going to a very specific page, not the homepage, but the page of the article they want to read. Yeah. And if you make it more if you don't make it mobile compatible, there's a good chance you've just lost a, a potential viewer or reader. Yes, pretty much. The only thing that I'm terribly upset about with your new website is that when I went to it today in the height of the holiday season, it snowed on my screen. What is this, 1993? I don't know. I have to talk to my developer. <laughs> it looks great, though. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm really pleased. You've got an update for us on the race for the Christmas number one song in the UK. Yeah, this is, I guess it'll be Sunday. Let me explain this. Don't stop me. There has been this thing in the UK where people bet on which song ends up at number one on the last chart published before Christmas. This goes all the way back to the 1950s. And it has become this huge betting thing over the years. What um, And what happens is, I mean, it's, it's a giant uh, ploy to get people into the record stores. And sometimes you have a charity record win. Sometimes you have, you know, one of Simon Cowell's minions win because the X Factor or, or whatever the show is, is time to end just before the last weekend of before Christmas. So people go out and they buy the winner's record and pushes it to the top. And then in other cases, are people who are actually... Um, trying to prevent people from like Simon Cowell from ending up at number one again. And that's what we're having this year. So um, there, there's been this big grassroots um, uh, push to have ACDC's Highway to Hell end up at number one for Christmas. And it's looking pretty good. Uh, the last time we had a big victory like this was a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, when uh, they managed to get uh, Rage Against the Machines killing in the name of to number one. But right now, if we look at, uh, let me just call up, the bookie site here. Hang on. One moment, please. I'm looking at Slade's Merry Christmas, everybody, at 512,000 pounds worth of sales. The Pogues, Mariah Carey, Wham! Last Christmas, uh, Cliff Richard, Band-Aid, Shaken Stevens, Pretenders, E-17, and Jonah Louie as the uh, runners for the top 10 Christmas singles by income so far. This is why people put together... Christmas songs every year because you have a chance to. I mean, the Slade song came out in 1973, and and you know they're gonna they're they're making hundreds of thousands of pounds every year. Uh, the Pogues and Fairy Tale of New York, hundreds of thousands of pounds every year. It's a it's a great way to make money if you're uh, 
Uh, oh, dear. Well, okay. Somebody named Sam Bailey. I have no idea who Sam Bailey is. Is a one to eight uh, favorite, followed by Lily Allen, which I wouldn't mind. I kind of like Lily Allen. Leona Lewis, Farrell Williams. ACDC has dropped to 14 to one. Uh, see, all you guys with the mullets got to get out there and vote. Yeah, specials are 16 to one. Uh, the Susan Boyle, Elvis Presley duet is 25 to one. And then it just gets weird after that. Um, hmm. So Sam Bailey, who is Sam Bailey? Anybody? Couldn't tell you. Ah, oh, there you go. It's an X-Factor champion. That's who... Uh... Well, that explains why you don't know who it is. Geeks and Beats update on Studio 16 East. What? H- have you not seen the photos that I've been posting? The the beauty photos? I had Danny Scott from Wave Acoustic come down and outfit me with the panels. Can you not hear the glorious sound? Yeah, actually, you do sound a whole lot better. Let's have a look at this. As a matter of fact, what I can is I'm going to send you... Um, Holy crap, what is this? This is the the new Studio 16 East with these sound absorption panels. I'm going to send you a uh, before and after audio file that uh, so that you can listen to the difference. Remember how we did the clap? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's the clap before and after. Oh, yeah. Isn't that incredible, the difference? Wow, nice job. Yes, well, it is. It is It is incredible, and that's, that's exactly why I have the, the panels in my studio here. Very good. The whole idea, of course, of tuning a room is that you don't want the audio bouncing off the walls and back into your microphone or into your ears if you're sitting in a home theater environment as well. This isn't just the kind of thing that you would do in a studio environment. But if it is in a studio environment, of course, the whole intent is to get as clean a sound as you can so that you've got that baseline, and then you you tweak it with the EQ. You fix it in post, as it were. The, the higher the quality of the original recording, the more you can manipulate it. Yeah, that's true. That, you know what? I thought it was because my ears were plugged that I didn't hear all the reverb. But it turns out that you have a better sounding studio now. That's good. Yeah. So uh, Danny came down into my home theater in the family room, and we talked a little bit about the fact that, you know, when it comes down to it, you can spend all this money on the gear, but if you're not treating the room properly... Yeah, it's a waste of time. Often acoustics are the last thing people think about, you know. They'll go out and they'll spend a lot of time finding the best system, the best speakers, everything. They'll listen in a... In a you know, in an environment that's perfect, because that's generally what you're hearing through mm-hmm. in, a, in a good a good system in a good environment. Then when they get at home, they wonder what happened. So it's it's not uncommon for people to think about the acoustics last, but it's also not difficult to to repair that. What's the best way one can repair something like that? Well, if it's a non-purpose built room like most houses are, you know, rectangular shaped rooms, square rooms, uh, acoustic panels and bass traps are the best way to sort of retrofit a room to make it to get the best out of your system. And the neat thing is, is that you can actually get the cloth colored to whatever you want, and actually you can put pictures on it. Well, I mean, you what did you call it? You call it the, the spousal approval meter? Right? Yeah, the spousal approval factor yes, is pretty yes. low on standard panels. Yes, exactly, exactly. So we'll do anything. Like I can see on your wall here, you've got a, a picture. We would take something like that, and we would put acoustics behind it. So we have picture panels and things like that. So if someone's not too concerned about how they look, they look anyway. They look very good anyway. I mean, it's, it's important to me that they look good. They're beveled, and they look great. Um, but if you want to, if you want to take it one step further and make it a little, little more sort of decor oriented, you can put pictures on it, or you can pick the fabric that you want. All right, so we're in like a sixteen by twenty-five foot room here. How much do I need to spend to get the good audio? Uh, generally speaking, under a thousand dollars. So if you're going to drop two, three, four grand on a good sound system and a television to go with it. Mm-hmm. 
put the extra cash into this. Oh, absolutely. You're, I don't think there's a better bang for the buck that you can spend than, than acoustically treating your room. I really think that it's that big a difference, and most people are, are stunned when they hear the difference. Really, because you think most people go, ah, you know, I'm not, I'm not an audiophile. I just want to watch my Star Wars. Yeah, it's true. True. There are a lot of people like that, but there's also a lot of people that... that Take this stuff a little more seriously, but even if you don't, it's you know for under a thousand bucks. Some I know people in the audiophile community who will pay a thousand dollars for a power cable, <laughs> and, you know, and the room and the room won't be treated. And you'll go in there and they'll they'll say, yeah, I think maybe I need to do something. Well, yeah, let's see what happens. So we'll, we'll place the panels in, and they're like, oh my god. So they're making these critical multi thousand dollar decisions in a room that's not true. Now, I, I was doing the research, and I thought I needed to put the panels in front of where my voice was going to be and behind it, but apparently the sides are just as important. Yeah, for sure. It, it, well, you know, if you're, in a, if you're doing a, something music-related, you're, you're talking about a home theater, what you really want is you want to keep some s- symmetry if you can. So if you've, got a, if you've got a sweet spot or a central, a central area, then you're looking at first reflections without getting too technical. You're looking at the first bounce off the wall is what you want to treat on either side, and that keeps your image clean. So you stop that bounce first before it gets a chance to move throughout the room. Which makes it really difficult because you've got a big-ass TV there, which right. is nothing but a bounce machine. Correct. Correct. Until we find a way to cover those transparently, (laughs) we're going to have to deal with it. (laughs) Thanks for your time. Thank you. I appreciate it, Michael. So, Danny, thanks again for uh, coming down to Studio 16 East and getting us all set up here. So uh, maybe the audio quality does not exactly match yours considering your microphone's probably 10 times more expensive than mine. It uh, it is, yes. You've got one of those Neumann microphones, right? Neumann, Neumann, Neumann. Neumann! But uh, having said that, it's certainly making a difference, and uh, thanks again. It's weird. I walk in here, and uh, I can hear myself think now. The room has just a different sound when there's nothing going on in it. Yeah, I need two more panels for the back of my doors here. Maybe I'll talk to Danny. Meantime, you've uh, found uh, the prospect that if you need a singing Christmas telegram this year, you're in luck. Yeah, look at this guy. He sent me this. I thought this was really kind of cool. The guy's name is Dinus, and he's based out of Toronto, and he's recorded 1,000 individual versions of his Christmas song for 1,000 common names. All right, so I'm going to put your name in here. I was really kind of hoping that there would be a, uh, you know, like Shaniqua or something like that, something different than the standard Michael Allen. So he sent this to you? Oh, yeah. Yes, we are about to make the gift and do it to them today. I gotta tell you, this is just a terrible Christmas song. Oh, please. (laughs) And and the poor guy had to do it a thousand times? I don't know how he did it. (laughs) Maybe he just went, Michael. That's nice. It's it's a singing telegram, and then you get to send a message along with it. Well, okay then. I think I. Hey. Good effort, dude. (laughs) And he's doing it, uh, it doesn't cost anything either. Kurt Cobain's daughter, meantime, has a weird Christmas wish. Yeah, she wants a stuffed cat. Pardon? A mummified cat. I, I, I don't know. Um, I thought at first that this was some sort of weird metaphor uh, regarding her mother. Um, <laughs> but it's not. She actually apparently wants this, uh, this, this, I, I don't understand. She wants a mummified cat. Now, Francis Bean Cobain of Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain fame is, is not a child. This is a 21-year-old woman here who's looking for 
a, a mummified cat. Under the Twitter handle, goth girl problem. Yeah, no kidding. All I want for Christmas is a mummified cat. That's it. Not her two front teeth. No. Again, I have a feeling that this is a veiled threat against her mother. Oh, is, are the two of them going at each other oh, on Twitter yeah. or something? Oh, no, no. Well, they've been going. No, they're estranged. They haven't, they haven't been talking for a very long time. Oh, I didn't know that. Other than Courtney Love's usual craziness, is there a particular reason? Uh, no, not particularly. It's, it's just Courtney Love's particular. She's just interesting. But Courtney Love told the Howard Stern radio show that she's really good with her daughter now and that they're emailing and tweeting. Yeah, that's good parenting. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Fine. Things are fine with, between me and my only child. We are tweeting at each other. We are emailing to each other. It's not that we're hanging out with each other or doing anything like that. But we are tweeting and emailing. Merry Christmas at 140 characters at a time. Yeah. Merry Christmas, dude. Uh, to you, too. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.